0: Tiger came in uh, initially by himself, and I, I said, "Listen, I just want to tell you three things. Uh, number one, the questions are short, and if I cut you off, it's it's not because uh, I'm not being attentive or out of a lack of respect. It's solely a byproduct of the time limit. Number two, uh, you know, some of the questions are tough because what you're going through is tough, and you don't need you know a guy from Jersey with a bad haircut to fly down here and tell you that. And and the third thing is." There's a simple truth which is easy to forget when anyone goes through a trial. It's easy to forget that there's a tomorrow. He, he made a crack, uh, he slapped my shoulder, and you know, we were both very nervous. I was trying not to throw up in my mouth. Uh, and when we were done, there were a lot of people that, at ESPN who wondered, you know, will this torch our network's relationship with him? Will my connection to him be forever torn? None of that had happened.
1: Hello and welcome to the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host Sean Zock, and I'm coming to you live from the media center here at Baltusrol Golf Club at the PGA Championship. Alongside me is a friend of mine who I met a long time ago, uh, and I see him nowadays in media centers at the golf majors. You'd easily recognize his voice. You might be able to recognize his face uh, if you watch enough Sports Center. But it's Tom Rinaldi. Tom's here on behalf of ESPN and it'll be his last golf stint of the year probably before he ventures out into the college football season, uh, which is only a few
0: weeks away. Tom, thanks for joining me. It's What's my pleasure to be here with you, Sean. I'm sure we'll we'll share the story, but uh, it is a an interesting one of how long ago <laughs> we first met, and there were I was the one holding the microphone and you were the one being yeah, interviewed.
1: That's right. It is funny to think about that. It is uh, a little over 15 years ago, wow. and, and I think As we said, it'd be a little bit shameful to not mention that before we get going here. But uh, basically, I was, I believe, nine years old at the time. It was probably June or so, 2001, and I was at Wrigley Field with my father and my brother. My brother's a big Cub fan at the time. I was a Cardinal fan for a number of weird reasons as a youngster, but we were at Wrigley Field, and um, Daryl Kyle, was one of the best pitchers the Cardinals had at the time. He signed my baseball glove. We got a picture with him. He cleared the field, the players cleared the field for the uh, National Anthem. The game went off and Daryl Kyle, unfortunately, passed away that night from clogged arteries in his heart. Now, I found out this information back home in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, a couple hundred miles away from Wrigley Field. And it happened so quickly and it was such a shock to the sports world because Daryl Kyle was 33 at the time. He left behind uh, a wife and three young children. And that was one of the things that really stuck with me as I talked to my parents, talked to my dad, who I got to play catch with in the front yard every Sunday afternoon.
0: And I knew that Daryl Kyle wouldn't be able to do that with his children. And you made a fascinating decision for somebody in grade school. What yeah. did you decide to do?
1: <laughs> yeah, at, at nine years old, I decided to kind of think about his family more than anything. And I sent a picture of me, which is probably one of the last photos that I think Daryl Kyle took, as well as the glove of one of the last autographs he gave to his family in St. Louis. Flynn Kyle um, was the, the mom, and she, bless her heart, she sent me a, a thank you four-page uh, front and back, handwritten note, and you could just tell pretty quickly uh, that it meant a lot to the family and it meant a lot to me to give up my baseball glove as a young child and I remember everything about it but yeah it was it was the kind of thing that really resonated with me knowing that his young children weren't going to be able to to hang out with their dad
0: anymore. It was the kind of thing that we at Sports Center decided would resonate with the country not just with yeah. the the Zach and the Kyle families but with anybody who has had baseball play a part of their generational story in the country. And that is a lot of folk. That's (laughs) a very, very thick book. We came to Door County and we interviewed you and your family about the decision and why you decided to do this. And you were a fantastic interview (laughs) at nine years old, which is really a crapshoot with kids. Yeah, I imagine that is not
1: the not the first, wasn't the last time that you've had to interview a young child. Uh, and I can imagine that it can be hit or miss, whether they are able to kind of come up with not necessarily the answers you're looking for, but to kind of contextualize everything. I'm not and I, saying that I
0: did. But. You did, because I remember even at nine years old, just as you said just a short while ago, in one of the answers, you referred to how often you played catch mm-hmm. in your own family. And how you thought of his family and his children not being able to do that with yeah. their dad, mm-hmm. major league pitcher who, as you said, had died so shockingly, if you take people back fifteen years ago, Sean, well daryl Kyle 's name may not resonate the way that it would have had he had a, a, an even fuller or longer career, yeah, but he was a very established and successful pitcher mm-hmm. uh, and The fact that he made that time for you made a big impression upon you, but I think this was something uh, apocryphally which added to his legacy, this notion of this story where he, without ever wanting any credit for it or ever knowing that his life would end so soon after, stopped and made time for a little boy and his visit to Wrigley.
1: That's one of the things that you can really appreciate. I know you being inside the ropes here at the tournament, seeing players take time for for young children that is a big part of this story of that story was that Daryl Kyle was going out to I think he was taking BP uh out in the the vines in the outfield of Wrigley Shaken and yeah, yeah and and we asked him as he walked by hey do you have time for an autograph and he said yeah I'll be back later and how many times to that's that's one of the the coin phrases of professional athletes and you see people here do it at the, at the PGA Championship, yeah, I'll get you at the 18th green. They don't always have to do that. They don't always get to do that. And DK, as uh, we ended up calling him, he came back exactly where he said he would be uh, maybe a half an hour later, and he ended up signing for myself and some other people. and that's It's one of those things that you don't always see in professional sports, but when you do see it, it catches your eye because it just shows. there's a, There's a bond between players and their fans. I'm curious now that that we've kind of at least remembered that a little bit as to how these stories, these feel-good stories, that's, that's something that's a jo- maybe a genre of the journalism world that you specialize in at times is the, the stories that might resonate very well with someone's heart. How do these stories land in your lap? Not necessarily in your lap, but how do they land at you? How does SportsCenter
0: get these stories? Well, two things. Number one, I wouldn't necessarily say that they feel good, but I would hope that people feel something from yeah. the stories. Many of them are have a sadness at their center because they revolve around loss, but then there's also people who you marvel at. Uh, I do. I marvel at the specificity of human strength, at what people bear, at the strength, the reservoir of strength that they pull from to guide them through things. I think is remarkable. Uh, as you know by now i'm sure sean the currency in media is ideas and so ideas are generally regarded as pitches and i have a very low batting average as a pitcher (laughs) i would say i probably am below the mendoza line i probably get fewer than two of every 10 story ideas that i pitch greenlit okay but there we're a big outfit and we have a Big production staff and great producers and people are constantly pitching ideas and so many times it's not an idea that came from me or there are also times when an idea that came comes from me is given to somebody else because of a schedule conflict or because there's a perception from the editorial staff that someone else is better suited to tell it
1: Mm -hmm. and now these feature stories that we see on sports center they're not the only thing you do in the journalism world. I think people maybe know you best from doing them, but you do a lot of college football, you do a lot of golf, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you began in 06 at ESPN, is that right, or ABC? 02. 02, okay. When did you begin doing golf?
0: Uh, almost immediately. When, uh, I, I arrived at ESPN from CNNSI, which is shuttered now as a sports network, but one of the reasons that there was an opening there was because Jimmy Roberts had left to go to NBC. So okay. there was a little bit of a golf opening there. They also needed someone who could, they perceived who could write. Uh, and I sort of fit into that slot. Um, I started to do golf almost immediately. So I, I always sort of describe it this way, Sean. I do five things at ESPN. Yeah. One is the human interest stories across all sport two is college football, no order here, three is golf, four is tennis, um, and five is whatever they tell me to do. Uh, <laughs> but there's also kind of a niche in there, too. I, I don't know how this happened. It happened kind of, all these things happened organically, but I write a lot now, and a lot of what I write is not necessarily for my voice. I write teases and uh, the, those 90-second or two-minute video flourishes that introduce you to an event or whatever it may be that sometimes actors voice. And I've had uh, a whole host of actors read things that I've written. I wrote the opening words for the Longhorn Network that Matthew McConaughey read. Okay. Um, I wrote. Uh, Do many people know that? I, I don't know. Not uh, that s- they need to. Sometimes but. there's a, a font up which says written by. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes there's not. Uh, there's been a, a host of things I've written for the British Open, which were all voiced by Ian McShane, yep. uh, if he's maybe a great character actor, if you saw him, you'd know maybe from Deadwood or from okay. uh, Ray Donovan more recently, yep. um, he's also His been in a lot of feature films, um, but I, I've written for a whole host of uh, different actors across a bunch of different spectrums. So. Those are sort of what I the thing my duties yeah. at ESPN.
1: And when it comes to golf, you began almost immediately like you said in 2002, carried that's that's the peak of the Tiger boom, the Tiger era. Uh, I guess I was thinking that's a big to be the guy the go-to golf guy at ESPN to handle the Tiger Woods interviews. Do you remember your first Tiger interview?
0: I do. Uh, I want to say that it was when he won it was one of the masters, and I don't believe I worked for ESPN yet. I'm trying, okay. to, I'm trying to recall. Here's the Tiger Woods story, though, that I, would, that I, would, I could share many of them, but here's a yeah. very simple one. I had done a sit-down interview with him, and for a long time in my career, I don't do it each and every time, although I should, Sean. I'd like to say that I do it three-quarters of the time, but that might be too generous. I try to write a handwritten note for anyone that ever sits down okay. uh, to say thank you because the athletes and the coaches are deluged with requests and long ago I learned that 99% of the mail you receive, maybe not for a famous coach or athlete, but for you and me is not handwritten. So instantly something handwritten stands out. And I don't know that for all the mail they receive, if you know you have a way to get it to the player or coach it might make an impression. Uh, After the first sit-down interview I did with Tiger, I wrote him a note, I sent it to Mark Steinberg, his agent, uh, who said, I'll get it to him. I didn't see Tiger again for at least two months. He did a huge scrum, Uh, he did a a press, sort of a a press conference availability interview. He stopped at the edge of the stage, there were probably 40 reporters around him, I was on the very periphery of the scrum, of the scrum. And as he went to leave, he pointed at me and said, thanks for your note. Jeez. And I learned something very valuable there. And I've said many times to Tiger, uh, he's been very cordial to me throughout my entire career. He's been very good to me, even though I've asked him difficult questions. Uh, and I always, I kid with him, I don't know why you, you've been so cordial to me. And he always jokes at me, I have no idea why either. <laughs> but. I do think that writing notes like that, Sean, even in 2016, I can't tell you the number of times a player or a coach, I hear, I mean, Chip Kelly, Nick Saban, Les Miles in in college football, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, Ernie Ells um, in, in golf, Roger Federer, Serena Williams, Rafa Nadal in tennis, all... The next time they've seen me after getting the first or the second note, have pointed it out to wow. me. Wow,
1: there's something to be said for a handwritten note. As I said earlier, with Flynn Kyle sending me a four-page, front-to-back handwritten note, uh, that's kind of transcended the age of everything needing to be digital and uh, instantaneous. Yeah. I mean, you
0: know, when you're fortunate enough to get somebody's cell and you text them, and I understand the immediacy of that, but. It's been surprising. And here you are to think the thousands of pieces of mail that these athletes and coaches receive. Yet, for whatever reason, they have been struck by, she took a moment and wrote a note. He took a moment and gave me this note. That's cool. For some reason, at times, not every time, it's resonated. So
1: Tiger was the first one that that you had sent it to that made...
0: No, he. You... I would say he's the first person Sean of that level yeah. and like you said you're getting into the absolute zenith of his career and stardom as the most famous athlete in America and one of the most famous people on the face of the earth and yeah. a, you know the note was not lengthy it was not two sentences but it acknowledged I get that your requests are made of your time constantly and the demands never cease uh, and and he acknowledged it, which was kind.
1: That's cool. Talking about your golf journalism career, one, maybe, maybe you consider it a peak or one of the more important things that you've done as a golf journalist, but interviewing Tiger after his scandal, I can't imagine how you would even approach to do that kind of thing. Did you get much sleep the night before? Was that kind of the thing that you prepped for
0: like crazy? Uh, you know, we knew that there were very simple conditions. We were able to ask anything that we wanted. The conditions were, it had a five minute time limit. We had decided that five minutes is better than no minutes yeah. f- for the viewership. It would be standing and it would be outside. Okay. It got a little more complicated because that day was, what the weather was terrible and there were thunder and lightning uh, storms around the Orlando area. So and we ended up doing it in a In a neighbor's house of Tiger's uh, because we were going to do it in sort of an open area but we couldn't be exposed to the sky with the lightning. Uh, Tiger came in uh, initially by himself and I asked if I could get just a couple of minutes before we did it with him and he said sure. And I just said to him, Sean, I I said, listen, I just want to tell you three things. Uh, You know, number one, you know, that the questions are short, and if I cut you off, it's it's not because I'm not being attentive, or out of a lack of respect. It's solely a byproduct of the time limit. Yeah, I said number two, uh, you know, some of the questions are tough uh, because what you're going through is tough, and you don't need you know a guy from Jersey with a bad haircut to fly down here and tell you that. I said, and and the third thing is that. There's a simple truth which is easy to forget when anyone goes through a trial. It's easy to forget that there's a tomorrow. Yeah. I said, and when tomorrow comes, just know that me and Diane and the kids, we wish for your success, however you define it, however you see it in your life, we we wish that for you because it is somebody that you know, I had known yeah. now for, you know, a decade's time. And two minutes later we did the interview. I didn't tell him any of the questions ahead of time. I only wrote six questions down. I think I asked him 16 or 18. All the rest were follows. How did he
1: react before the interview after you had prefaced him with those three things? Did he, was he just like, I'm ready to do this? Or he did, put a, he,
0: you know, he, he he made a crack. Uh, yeah. He slapped my shoulder, and you know we were both very nervous. I was trying not to throw up in my mouth, <laughs> and uh, and when we were done, uh, there were a lot of people that, at ESPN who wondered, you know, will this torch our yeah. our network's relationship with him? Will my connection to him be forever torn? None of that had happened. Yeah,
1: uh, I can understand why they would think that. Sure like you said, a very tough time. Uh, I'm curious when you think about Tiger Woods nowadays, I think when he, when he had his Tiger boom, it was the perfect recipe of ingredients between race and popularity, athleticism, uh, dominance in his respective right, and, field. and, and I,
0: I would interrupt for just a second, Sean, and I would just say that even if you took all those other factors away, and I think those, those are all factors, no question, and I think Tiger would say the same, but the, the overwhelming factor is greatness. Yeah. It, his greatness will only grow over time. Yeah. Just this week, someone in the presser asked a line of questioning to several players saying, with That's the right. depth and quality of competitive fields now, do you think that there are a bunch of Tigers out there? Here you had Jordan Spieth say, there are no Tigers. And Rory McElroy say, I think that's disrespectful to Tiger. Think about that. Yeah. Those two guys said that of their yeah. own volition. Mm-hmm. I think that tells you that his lore is only going to grow through time because of what he... Dominant, I'm not certain is a strong enough word. <laughs> Isn't that weird?
1: I mean, we use, the, we use the word dominance in sports so much, but you would, you would say, though, that he, he took it to just this other level that it wasn't
0: when you look at win percentage when you look at contending percentage when you look at the, the number of years he where where not all, not only was he winning the varden trophy and winning player of the year but he was again he was the single human tied to the sport every player is beholden to him on the PGA yeah, Tour, yeah. and they know that. Even his for the, greatest rivals. For their quality of life, for how he single-handedly enriched them and changed the course of their family's lives. Yeah. That all came through, make no mistake, one player, and his name is Tiger Woods. You can't quantify it. You know, it, it's it's a number or- You can it, quantify how the purses multiplied through him. You could quantify how network television deals exploded by multiples due to him Uh, but at the end of the day the main pulse of what Tiger Woods did to grow the game was be great Mm -hmm.
1: I like that I I think when we before we began we weren't talking Tiger Woods we were actually talking British Open uh, and how that event for the first time this year was not covered by ESPN yeah. um, broadcast-wise, televised. Was that disappointing for you? Oh, immensely.
0: And, and listen, I, I understand that uh, rights, fees, and believe me, ESPN can is phenomenal at, at garnering events, but everybody's selfish yeah. for the ground that they already hold in the events that they love. The Open Championship's a special event. ABC and then ESPN had it for decades of time, presenting it uh, to the United States, Uh, it it was my favorite golf event. So it was a real dagger. And I think if you would ask anybody on, not just the on-air team, people who worked 75, 85 hours, 90 hours that week, people who devoted months of prep time to the construction of a one week's worth master control, uh, they would all tell you, they would love to do it again.
1: Why was that week for you your favorite week of the golf season?
0: Uh, There's a bunch of things about it that there's, I think we love to rush to give something gravitas or importance. I think sometimes we confuse these two words, resume and legacy. Resume is a list of achievements or accomplishments or experiences. Legacy is what time remembers. Those are two very different things. Legacy never applies for a job interview, right? Legacy is judged by time. Very few things, the the Kentucky Derby, the Open Championship, there are a few things that rise to the level of having a true and real legacy. The FedEx Cup, I I think if you were to ask players here, would they love to win the FedEx Cup check? Sure. But in their heart, would yeah. they prefer that payday to winning a major? Mm-hmm. And they would tell you the major, why? Because one is resume and the other one is legacy. legacy.
1: I like that. I was able to get to the British Open this year for the first time in my career. What'd you think? My career. It really is. The, it's different. It's something, it's hard to explain a little bit the difference in fans over there and how they react to golf differently than they will in the United States. I don't think you have as much of the Baba Booey, the mashed potatoes, they they almost appreciate the sport and the performances a little bit more, which is why it was so special to have Henrik Stenson and one of the legends of the game, I think, Phil Mickelson, have that duel at Troon. And the, the people, just like everyone, thousands of people with a smile on their face, it was raining, it was windy,
0: but that is their moment, that is their week of golf for the year. I think if you're listening to this, your you know, lives are you're a golf fan, so I'm preaching to the converted, <laughs> but major championship golf just delivers great theater.
1: Yeah, and, and one thing that me and my coworkers have talked about this week, we're at the PGA Championship, there has not been a tee shot hit for the uh, championship yet, and we're just kind of waiting for golf to happen, and the PGA Championship doesn't, get as much respect as the other majors it sometimes it's treated in some respects as the runt of the of the family but this event continues to deliver some of the most memorable moments in golf history
0: when you look at only just the past five years it does but uh, but I don't know that it, it will have a hard time shedding that label I think for two reasons number one is where it falls on the calendar uh, but number two Look at what the other three represent versus what the PGA represents. The Masters, for not everyone in the country will understand, but for those who live in a four-season climate, represents the arrival of spring. That's a pretty difficult thing to compete with. The U.S. Open represents, I think, the chance for the 1.6 index to play in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. That's unique in all of sport number three represents the sport at its roots back to the fact that you go to the very first golf course that really ever sanctioned an event at st andrews and then there's the pga with the huge trophy the trophy (laughs) named after somebody who owned a chain of department stores versus a green jacket or or a claret jug. yeah
1: yeah it's tough it's they're kind of running uphill in that aspect but to get back to your job in the british open briefly I remember last year, I was not at the British Open at St. Andrews, um, but I remember watching the broadcast and Zach Johnson wins the playoff with Leishman and Oosthuizen, and you get him off the 18th green, and he's in an incredibly emotional state. He's he's crying, he's very choked up, and all you had to say was, uh, how do you describe it, Zach? He took it from there. Now... I think that that is something that you do well is have short questions, let the interview take shape from the person that's being interviewed. What, what goes through your mind when you're approaching a subject after a championship, after
0: winning, to lead into a question? That's a very uh, kind question and description. Um, I've known Zach a long time. He's you, a good you, interview. have been around him, he's a wonderful, thoughtful, and very emotive guy uh, who I think in a way presents with there with the, you know, the glasses on and the hat, the beanie in a way that I think is almost at odds with what he's like as a guy. His appearance can kind of be in contrast to uh, just how big a heart he has. For many years, I think I, and maybe I still do more often than I'd like to admit, I botched interview after interview, and I think because I did all the wrong things. Like what? like tried to sound smart nobody cares if you're smart like tried to ask you know a, a question of too much depth nobody ca- it's not about the question the, the interview is a window and at the end of the day nobody cares about the window pane they care about the view anything else is a smudge and I think I'm, I'm guided by sort of two or three really simple things in a situation like that Sean one is ask a question Don't make a demand, don't say talk about, ask a question, number one. Two, ask a question you genuinely want to know the answer to. And number three, listen. Mm -hmm. Listen to the answer. Sometimes people have three or four questions, it's a pressurized spot and I get that. Again, I I called Shane Lowry Shane (laughs) McLowry at the Masters this year to show how far I still have to go. there are times in that pressured situation where you have things working against you, but listen to the answer, and many times that leads to a simple follow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know people hate the question, "How do you feel?" And I, I don't know that I've ever even asked it. There are many different ways to get at feeling, maybe through uh, a question that's perceived to be different or more substantial, but the last when. When Jordan Spieth yep. gave about six minutes to the media, seven minutes.
1: This year? After yeah.
0: the final round at the Masters. And I was elsewhere for, I don't know, the first five minutes. And I got there. I ended up asking yeah. the last question. And the last question I asked him was, and I'd asked it only one time before, and it was at the Masters as well. I asked this exact same question to Brand Snedeker. Okay. And the question was, Jordan, we can only watch from the outside. What's it like on the inside? And that's the answer that led him to say, at one point I turned to Michael Greller's caddy and said, buddy, it feels like we're collapsing. The honesty of that answer. Yeah. No one will ever think about the question that was a ramp to that answer. And that's as it should be. No, I like because that. it's about the answer.
1: Mm-hmm. I think uh, when you look in, back- in
0: settings like that, sometimes yeah. it's about the question. Rarely, but the, most times, that's in a news setting, yeah. and not in in a, mm-hmm. in a live sport event setting.
1: I like that. The uh, I remember going through J school, and one of my favorite professors said that the best interviewers are great listeners. So it gives a little bit of credence to that. I think. Um, before I let you go, a couple, a couple more things. When you were interviewing Zach, like I said, very short, very short question. I think it would be easy for people at home or other people in the media that might be jealous of the platform on which you work to say, Rinaldi, all he asked him is to describe it. Rinaldi's got a great job. It's an easy job. And I know- It I know, is a great job. It is a great job, yes. Not easy. I see no, you and, and, I see and you it's at much events. easier than many, many other things. But I see you at events, on the phone, on your computer. You're, you're actually kind of grinding a lot of these stories through your mind, and you don't, you don't go out there and write 800 words and get them all out there. So there's got to be a lot of things that are circling your head throughout a tournament, as a golf tournament, as a leaderboard changes. I want to know what's the most difficult part about your job
0: when you make it look easy. Nothing. It is a lottery winning job. <laughs> okay. I won the lottery to have the job I have. It is an absolute gift of a job. It is 99.9% job satisfaction rated. Um, I have young children. You, you're you're at a different stage in your life than I am. I'm twice your age plus. <laughs> but uh, So there's road life and being away from uh, Jack and Tessa, our children, and Diane, my wife. But the job itself, largely speaking, of course, there are frustrations to everybody, as there are for you. But, uh, you know, mine are, they're an absolute pittance for what I'm able to do. Tell stories, witness greatness, um, have the proximity to people who I find naturally compelling yeah Uh, it's a great great job do I make mistakes at the job all the time do I botch interviews sure Uh, to go back to Tiger for for a quick second when we go back a few years ago to Tiger on 15 on Friday
1: 2013
0: hits the shot hits the pin kicks back and goes in into the water Remember the controversy that follows about where, where he took yeah. the drop, right? That emanated from the post round interview. Yeah, that's right. Oh my God! Where he described what he what did. What he did. Right. So oh. <laughs> I, I had a lot of texts suggesting to me from friends of mine, from my family oh gosh. wow, is he going to be PO'd at you? Yeah. He, I saw him the next day. And he shook his head and laughed and said, what is, it? <laughs> I won't say exactly what yeah. he said, but he, but he was certainly not angry at, it because the question itself was just Another, neutral. Yeah, It was the answer and where I botched it was not recognizing and my mind never would have been quick enough to oh. calculate the rules violation in the moment. But I'm certain that there were people at home who would know the rule that well and say what is wrong with that guy how oh my he's just telling you that he broke the rule and to that all i would say is i'd raise my hand and say guilty yeah that i didn't catch that so i I miss things all the time
1: what is your strategy though at at a golf tournament to from your perspective to to capture what's going on like maybe not let's
0: let's go to stenson so I, didn't, I wasn't there. I didn't have the opportunity. Tariko, you know, who I love and was a colleague for yeah. many years and among the best in the business, had the chance for the interview that any of us would love to have, the first, the first chance to ask a handful of questions to Henrik. But here are two or three questions that I would have asked Henrik. That, uh, because, again, I don't know the answer. What did you learn about yourself today? Because he can take that anywhere he wants, and I don't yeah. know the answer. He's been through... And, and if there's a way to tightly get to from 220, I'd have to look up his exact low point. I think it's 227, it yeah. right? so 226 or 227 in the world in X year, like a year after he'd won the FedEx Cup or whatever yeah. it was, um, to, to now, what was the turning point that led to this day? Mm-hmm. And if you said, oh, there are so many, pick one. Mm-hmm because i don't know that no but that can give you a lot like just get them rolling and again it's not a long question but it takes you inside his experience okay i like that um
1: one thing that i'm curious about before i I call it quits with you is comparing golf to covering other sports tennis it's a a individual sport yeah college football is far from being an individual sport What's what is different, better or worse about golf than than other sports? I think
0: we're so spoiled, Sean, and I don't know if if uh, you would agree with that or people who cover golf exclusively would would have the same view. You sit and you listen to the answers given by, and I'll just pick I'll pick three guys. Okay. None of whom is 30. So they're young. Okay. I think I know Rory, you're yeah. Spieth and day. The thoughtfulness yeah. of their answers and the earnest way in which they try to answer a question. Rory McElroy was asked a terrific question yesterday by Doug Ferguson of the AP, sort of the Lord out here. <laughs> yeah. And he asked him in a word, how would you describe your season at this point and why that word? Rory McElroy paused for probably 15 seconds, and then the word he chose was neutral.
1: Yeah.
0: That is just not an autopiloted answer at all. It's a fascinating, and then he gave a lengthy explanation as to why he chose neutral. Later he was asked a question which is maybe a little more traditional, but still interesting. What letter grade would you give your year? And he said, eh, B minus, and he explained why. But the thoughtfulness of those answers, the thoughtfulness of Spieth to talk about the expectations, burdensome versus momentum building of last year, and how it shaped this year. Day talking candidly, just saying, yeah, a little light on the prep this time. Yeah, because he hasn't really poured a lot into the prep for this championship. That is gold. Is that
1: unparalleled? uh, Yes. Okay. That's why
0: I'm curious. That's is... unparalleled. I mean, even in tennis, okay. it's unparalleled. Okay. Unparalleled. The I... thoughtfulness. Now listen, there are incredible interviews. We did, a, we did an interview with Mackenzie Alexander, a second-round draft choice, just left Clemson last year, who's going to be playing for the Vikings this year, outstanding defensive back. I mean, as thoughtful a guy as you can interview about a range of topics, including his mom and dad from Haiti who worked in the orange groves of Immokalee, Florida, and what that taught him, the fact that he got up at 3.45 a.m. three weeks before the draft to continue to work in the groves with them. Jeez. I mean, why? Why do that? And his explanation about what it shows to his father, what it proves to his mother, what it teaches him. So they're a deeply thoughtful men and women and coaches in all sport. But if I were to take an aggregate yeah. at the top of the yeah. sport, yeah. top, when they're asked thousands of questions, and autopilot is so easy, the same questions often. Too. Oftentimes, which is why, again, I give I give tremendous credit to somebody like Doc Rivers or LeBron James. I think they're very they're earnest in how yeah. they try to answer. Top. it's easy
1: to see the exact opposite of that because oh. it's very prevalent as well, and easy. And, and that is gives you stand, uh, you know, it gives you reason why you need to appreciate. We need to appreciate what we do have in Jason Day, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, and a number of other guys. Uh, we can leave it at that, folks. Um, you probably won't be seeing a ton of golf coverage from Tom Rinaldi over the next couple of months, but you will see him on Saturdays, college game day, Saturday nights too, right?
0: Yeah, so college game day, I do, I do a handful of sidelines a year as well, but uh, we love college so, game day, and we hope some of the listeners, we know that there's a big crossover with <laughs> hope, golf and college so. football.
1: What uh, what's your, what are you looking forward to most for uh, college football year this year?
0: Wow, there's so much to to look forward to, but here here are th- here are sort of three quick things. Number one. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, and Deshaun Watson, obvious leaders in the, in the preseason Heisman. But who emerges? Who's that yeah. guy who we're not thinking of? As like last year, no one was thinking of Christian McCaffrey. Who's that guy that's going to emerge? That's always a fascinating. It often happens guy. early. It does. Run and it. then can he sustain it? All right, mm-hmm. so that's number one. Number two, uh, I'm, I'm an enormous. I'm compelled by Dabo Sweeney. I have a very good rapport with Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. I'm fortunate in that regard, but I'm I'm compelled by Dabo in a lot of ways. How how does Clemson react to getting to the game last year, playing a great game and losing? Mm -hmm. I had us Phil respond to playing a great final round at Troon and trying to back it up at Baltus Rawl, etc. And the last thing is, What's the one, selfishly, what's the one place at game day we haven't been to that maybe we'll go to this year yeah. that we get to experience? Because that is one of the greatest gigs out there yeah. to be on game day.
1: Yeah. Well, it's one of the most uh, fun shows, at least for myself, <laughs> to watch. Uh, not, not being very far removed from a college student life, it was great whenever college game day came through town. So either way, thank you very much for joining me, Tom. Thanks to all you back home listening. Do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast so interviews like this one will download straight to your smartphone until
0: next time I'm your host Sean Zack.